So I remember several years ago, it was on a Christmas morning. And uh, if you're from around here, you know what Christmas morning is like. You're usually buried in about six feet of snow. <laughs> so it was Christmas morning, and I woke up early. And I was at my parents' house because I was still really, really super little. And um, I was really, really, really hoping for this one gift. I didn't care about any other gift that I would get that day. I just wanted this one specific gift that I had been begging, that I had been pleading for, that I had been crying over. I was just really, really hoping and praying that there would be that specific gift under the tree waiting for me. And so with very limited patience, I waited for my parents to get up by knocking on their door and screaming and yelling that it was Christmas morning. (laughs) So once we came out into the living room, there under the decorated tree was this big, massive box wrapped in paper. And I just had a hunch. I had this inkling of what was in that box because I knew what the box looked like at the store. So I had dimensions already outlined in my mind of what that box would look like wrapped. So with one hand, I grab that box, and the other hand, I start ripping and tearing, and paper and bows and ribbons are flying everywhere. And all of a sudden, my eyes lock with that beautiful word written in big, bold, red letters, Nintendo. Oh yeah, I had been waiting for years because I was the only kid in my community that did not have the original Nintendo. How many of you remember that? Now there's 40 different versions of it. But I was the only one who didn't have it, and I couldn't wait. And I surpassed, I I actually passed by all of my other gifts because I wanted my dad to put it together and put it on the TV so I could play Nintendo. Now, everyone knows that with every new Nintendo comes the game, the foundational game of Super Mario Brothers. Oh, yeah. Now, see, the whole thing about Super Mario Brothers, you got to understand this. Flow with me here for a minute. See, Super Mario Brothers is about this guy named Mario, okay? And him and Luigi go through this game, and the object is is you want to get a whole bunch of energy to power up so that way you can take out all the bad guys. And so you fight dragons and you can throw fireballs and you can go down little tubes and come up in other places and get little mushrooms and you grow really big and then you can go really small and you can go really fast and really slow. And so the cool thing about Mario Brothers was that I always had this opportunity to power up. Thank you. (laughs) I always had this opportunity to power up and to be able to break through where I needed to break through. And so over these next couple weeks, as a church body, we're going to be jumping into a series called Breakout. And what we're going to do is we're going to examine the scriptures in 1 Corinthians from Paul's perspective— of him giving us specific instruction about how to break through barriers in our lives that we are dealing with. The amazing thing is, is some of us have barriers in our lives that we continually try to break through, and sometimes it takes more than once for us to get that freedom that we need. 
And so I'm encouraging you to come back for the next following weeks as we follow up with this and go through 1 Corinthians together through this series called Breakout. So I really believe, like my Christmas experience earlier in the years before where I am now, I believe that the New Testament followers of Christ would have understood my same passion. I believe they would have understood my same excitement. That they knew what it meant to wait. They knew what it meant to long for something that they didn't yet have. What they were waiting for was what Christ had promised them. In fact, in the Word of God, it tells us that 40 days, in between, there was 40 days that Christ had risen from the dead and he ascended into heaven. In that 40-day period, it stated in the Word of God that Christ visited his followers, those who were close to him, those who were willing to die for what he proclaimed. In the midst of that, there was a promise that was given to those followers of Jesus, not only them, but for us as well. That promise was given to them saying that when you wait, I promise you that the Holy Spirit will come upon you and will give you power. Not just any power, but will give you the power and the ability and the strength that is divine to be my witnesses into your surrounding areas, in your communities, in your homes, in your region, and to all those that I send you out to in the world. That was his promise. But the good thing is, it wasn't a promise just to those New Testament followers of Jesus. It was a promise to us as well. So in the Word of God, we find this beautiful power that is demonstrated and manifested through who we call the Holy Spirit. The beauty about this power that is given to the body of Christ, this New Testament church, is that it far surpasses Mario and Luigi's version of powering up. The reason is, is because it's eternal. It's long-lasting. It's spiritual. Mario and Luigi, sorry guys, you're eventually going to die out. But the power that we get from the Holy Spirit is something that we will have forever, and it's available to us. Jesus has promised us a power upgrade. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus promised his disciples that this same Holy Spirit that we're talking about today would come upon them. And we read numerous accounts that where they went from one place to the next, the Holy Spirit was demonstrating his power through them and in them. That same power upgrade was intentionally provided for us And the question that I have for us is, what are we doing with it? See, every follower of Jesus, that means that when you confess Christ with your mouth and you believe in your heart, that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as pastor prayed earlier, we've offended God. And the way we overcome offense is by asking for forgiveness. So when we ask for forgiveness of our offenses towards God, he's such a gentleman that he forgives us. And he goes so far as to even forget about those sins, those offenses that we have given him. But it goes a little further than that. Jesus tells us that when we accept him as our personal savior, we believe in our hearts and we confess with our mouths and we live out his values, he promises to give us something else. And it's called the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Not like Mario. With Mario, it's a temporary thing. There's this point in the game of Super Mario Brothers that I remember, and there was this point where you would get this little specific mushroom or this little star. And if you got that star or you got that mushroom, you had this amazing, awesome, quick ability to run through as far as you could go, and you were unstoppable, meaning no one could touch you. No one could kill you off. But it was limited in time. So you had to move fast. If you didn't move fast enough, you'd lose that power. Well, I'm not telling you today that you're going to lose the power of the Holy Spirit. But what I'm saying is, if we have the power of the Holy Spirit, if it is living within us, which I'm going to talk about that in a few minutes, then why are we not using it if we have it? Another follower of Jesus who wrote more than half of the New Testament, his name was the Apostle Paul. You've got to understand a little bit of background about Paul because he wasn't always a pastor, he wasn't always a minister, he wasn't always an apostle, he didn't always travel. Paul, Paul's first occupation was he was a political guy in the religious system. But not only that, he was a former murderer, Christian murderer, killer. He felt that he was doing God a favor by taking out New Testament followers of Jesus who didn't abide by the laws that were made by man for the Pharisees and the Sadducees, these groups of religious rulers. So Paul has this encounter with God as he's on his way on an assignment to take out other followers of Christ. He has this encounter with God. He has this transformation that takes place in his life. God calls him to many other followers of Christ, and he ends up in Corinth. And that's where we are at, is in 1 Corinthians. Paul spends some time there in Corinth, and Paul gets to know and understand the atmosphere of Corinth and what it entails. Now, if you would travel to a big city at that time, every big city had a place called the Agora. It was the gathering point. It was the market It was like Wegmans of today, okay? Everyone would go there because they had everything that you needed. If you needed your clothing, that's where you would go. If you were a craftsman, that's where you would go to sell your product. If you were a businessman, that's where you would go to make your deals. And we're going to talk about the Agora in a minute because the Agora wasn't so much like Wegmans because the Agora had a different agenda behind it. It had a spiritual agenda behind it. So Paul spends some time in Corinth. He gets to understand who the gods, lowercase g, are there, and also what's really going on in the atmosphere of the Corinthian church. If we want to power up, we must seize costly pursuit. I'm a firm believer that there are areas in our lives that will cost us something if we want it bad enough. Sometimes it may cost us our finances, may cost us our talents. It may cost us our time. There may be times that we're so passionate about it that God calls us to put that passion on hold for a little bit until he can work some things out in our lives. The beauty of this is, though, is if we want it bad enough and we work for it bad enough and hard enough that when we look back at it, we say, you know what, it was worth the cost that I paid to get there. It was worth the time that I sacrificed. It was worth the money that I invested. 
It was worth me giving up this over here so that I could get this right now. So Paul comes preaching and teaching about the salvation of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit, this supernatural power that exceeds all the false Corinthian gods that are present in Corinth. Did you get that? He comes demonstrating supernatural power that overrides the current gods found within Corinth. See, power comes with a cost. That place called the Agora that I mentioned moments ago, see, the Agora just wasn't for everybody. If you wanted to so much have a membership with the Agora, you had to make sure that you followed the gods that the Agora put in place. So if you wanted to go to the Agora and maybe pick up some groceries that day or, you know, go pick out some new clothes or maybe you just needed to go do a business transaction, well, you were going to be very limited if you didn't have a membership to the Agora. That membership entitled you to be able to shop there, entitled you to be able to sell your goods there. It also entitled you to political advantages, that if you needed to cast a vote for somebody who is running politically, you had the ability and the membership and the availability to cast that vote because you were a part of that God's agora. But Paul tells the first Corinthian church and says, you don't belong there. I know that you're in need, but you have no business being in the agora. Do not sign up for that membership. That deal looks really good, but don't invest into it. I have something that is far better and far more surpassing. And yes, it's going to cost you food sometimes. It's going to cost you clothing. It's going to cost you to grow in your faith. Because where you would normally go to get what you need is now off limits to you. Because the God that oversees that agora is not the God that I serve or the God that you have chosen to serve. And my God, your God, will prove that he is greater than the God of the agora. The God of the agora at that time was Apollo. Sounds like an astronaut, right? Apollo was the God of that agora. And so, if you wanted to be part of the Agora, this is how you would pay your membership. You would go pay an offering to the god Apollo. So if you were coming into town, maybe on vacation, that is the old ruins of Apollo. If you were coming into town on vacation, you would simply stop by if you wanted something to eat or something to buy. You would pay an offering to the gods because there was a gentleman who would sit on this big rock platform up on a staircase somewhat like this, and his name was the Agoronimos. And you didn't get past the Agoronimos because the Agoronimos was right at the gate. So if you tried to sneak in to go get something at the sub shop or you tried to get some Chinese or something, that wasn't going to happen because the Agoronimos had his eyes on you. So you would walk into the Agora and the Agoronimos would welcome you and just when you think you were out of his sight, out of his grip, he would pose the question, 
I'm so glad that you're here. By the way, have you stopped by to pay your dues and respects and offer the god Apollo a sacrifice or offering? Well, I, uh, uh, but I don't worship Apollo. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Well, I don't, I, uh, oh, well, I'm sorry. You can feel free to look around, but I'm sorry, but you can't purchase anything today. Oh, you have goods to sell? I'm sorry. You can't sell those here. Changes everything for a follower of Jesus, doesn't it? It increases our faith. It costs us more for our faith. It costs us more for our time. It costs our political advantages. This is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I came to you, brothers. I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I claimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except, underline this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. The foundation that is critical for powering up is our relational pursuit with the Holy Spirit. Paul tells the first Corinthian church, he says, listen, when I came to you guys, I didn't come with great speech. I didn't come with great manners. But one thing I'm confident that I came with was knowing who I am in Christ and coming in the power of the Holy Spirit. He said, I came with the illumination, the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Where there was darkness, when I came, there was light because of the Holy Spirit through me. Which made me think about that when I was reading this verse. I thought, you know, I don't want to have my life be explainable without the Holy Spirit. I don't want people to be able to look at my life and say, oh yeah, you know what, he can do everything in his own strength. I want the Holy Spirit so present in my life that when people look at me and they say, oh my gosh, there's something in his life that overrides the reality factor of earth. There's something heavenly, there's something divine, there's something supernatural in his life that is way different than those around him. Don't you want that? As followers of Christ, don't you want that? Don't you want it that when you go in on Monday morning to the workplace and you're down on the floor in the shop of GE, that when you're pressing those buttons and you're molding the press over and over, there's still something about you that all the employees around you that don't know Jesus are saying, gosh, there is something when I get around that individual, there is something that overcomes me and I really like it. When you go to your campus tomorrow, in the afternoon when you're sitting there in class and the professor gets up to teach and there's students around you sitting at their desks and all of a sudden the presence of the Holy Spirit bursts out from you in a way that you can't explain. And students begin to talk to you and say, hey, by the way, can we grab some coffee later? Because I got some questions for you. When you're in your home and your children start acting up and they start to frustrate you and you simply just get down on one knee and you grab them by the hands and you look them in the eyes and instead of meeting the eyes of mom or dad they meet the eyes of Holy Spirit and they're at peace several years ago God had called me to start a ministry to reach out to psychics and witches and people in the occult and people in racism went through a lot of time to build that and pastoral oversight from Pastor Jack and and wisdom. 
And when we were released at the proper time, God started just to build it himself. And so part of that is, is a lot of times we get calls from people that don't know Jesus that say, our house is haunted. And sometimes they, they get kind of funny. They call us the Ghostbusters. And I just laugh. And so we seize that moment, we seize that opportunity, and we say, okay, you know what? We, we have a surefire way that we will bring peace into your home. But we're going to tell you right now, it's nothing weird, but it's totally supernatural. And a lot of times people are a little hesitant. They're like, well, okay, you know, because I had a medium come in here, and they did their crystal thing and waved some sage around, and, and, you know, and we're still upset, and, you know, we had some crystals laying out for five days, and nothing's going on. And I said, don't worry, just get rid of all that, because we're going to bring in a different type of presence that's going to cause that presence to leave. So we'll go into these homes. I remember we went into one home out in the country, and there had been some invitation for some people of the occult to come into that house and to do some things that were ungodly. So the owner of the home was very restless, hearing things in the house, seeing things, all kinds of different things were happening that were not of God. So through much prayer, much fasting, and much counsel, and much wisdom, we went to that house, and we began to worship. We just began to worship right there. We pulled out a guitar, and we just began to worship, and we just began to glorify God. And then as we moved through the house, we began to pray over every room. And as the Holy Spirit gave us illumination as to what was going on, we were able to pray accordingly. By the time we left, that owner said there was something definitely different than when we came in the first time, and it was good. And to this day, nothing has returned back there that is not of God. See, I want to live that life that when people look at me, I can't explain it without saying the Holy Spirit is a huge part of that. We need to understand that we can trust the Holy Spirit. I remember when I first heard about the Holy Spirit, like I had this idea that he was like this weirdo, like cloud or vapor or some type of mist thing, you know, that I just couldn't see or, you know, like I'm just you know, who is this Holy Spirit, you know? Like, I, I, I'm, I'm cool with God, I'm cool with Jesus, but yeah, I'm just gonna put Holy Spirit, like, over here, and I'll be safe with him there. But I'm cool with Jesus, and I'm cool with God, but we have to understand that we can trust the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit, God, and Jesus are three separate people. I'm gonna get a little scientific on you a minute here. They're three separate people, but they're one. The Word of God tells us that they are one, but they're three. But the beauty is, is that the Holy Spirit and the Son of God, Jesus Christ, serve the Father with diligence and excitement. All those miracles that we hear about and we read about that Jesus did tells us that he did it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He did it in partnership with the Holy Spirit which tells us that if Jesus did it in partnership with the Holy Spirit, then we're called to be in partnership with the Holy Spirit. And the only way we develop intimacy with the Holy Spirit is by trusting him and having a willingness to believe what he says to us. See, we can get people in the doors of our church. We can throw out our best jokes. We can do our best publications. We can have all our best music. And that is on our own strength. But 
We cannot, Paul tells us, we cannot cause or force people to be passionate about Jesus without the Holy Spirit. We can only draw people in by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through our prayer and through our time with Jesus and our intimacy with the Holy Spirit, that is what drives and pulls people into the presence of Jesus. Relationship with the Holy Spirit will cost us until we voluntarily come to a place where he is all that we know. Several years ago, before I came back here, Sarah and I had taken a position for youth pastoring out in New Jersey. Prior to that, before we were married, I had six months to be a bachelor by myself in my home out in New Jersey. Yes, I did play video games very late nights, but I also took advantage of the time that I was not yet married. Now, hear me on this. Hear me out, okay? (laughs) There's a difference when you don't have a commitment at that moment where you give your time now over to your spouse. So I took advantage of that, and I would spend hours, sometimes two, sometimes three hours, that I would just spend seeking the face of God. There were Friday nights that I would give up to go out with friends, and I would give up food just so I could hear the voice of God, just so I could soak in what the Holy Spirit wanted to do in my life. It cost me time. Sometimes it would cost me friendships. But you know what? It was worth it. The intimacy was worth it. Matthew twenty-two, thirty-five through 38 is the first and second commandment. And it tells us in the first and second commandment what? Love God with what? All your heart, all your what? All your soul, what else? All your mind, what else? All your strength, absolutely. So he calls us to love us with all of our mind, heart, soul, and strength. And I thought about that because when we love God, we love the Holy Spirit too, and that's intimate. When we love God with our heart, we love God with our emotions. Meaning that when we don't feel like loving God, we overcome ourselves and we overcome our emotions and we push ourselves to love God even when we don't want to. When we love God with our soul, that means our personality of speech comes forward. So that means that we can quench the love that we have for God by how we speak to each other and how we treat each other. Or we can add to the fire by how we treat each other through the way we speak. Through our mind, we love God. We love the Holy Spirit through loving the Word of God and thinking on the Word of God and allowing that to renew our minds. And our strength comes from our resources, our time, our money, our talents, everything that we invest in, we give it to the Lord. Through our intimacy with the Holy Spirit, we will learn to express unsurpassing power. So I want to give you a little idea of Corinth here a minute so you can get this, because Corinth, I believe, is really not too much different than where we live right now and what we do on a daily basis. See, Corinth was a city of demonstration. Not just any demonstration, but spiritual demonstration. What they had in Corinth was the Temple of Apollo. And if you really understood this, when you would go to see Apollo, some people, they would take weeks to travel just to get to Apollo's temple. 
Because if you arrived at Apollo's temple, there was waiting for you an oracle. One who would hear from the god Apollo and tell you what you needed to know for your life, for your situation. If you wanted another child, you wouldn't go ask your spouse to say, hey, do you think we can have another child? No, you would travel for days and days to the temple of Apollo and you would stand and wait for the oracle to come out and tell you if you're supposed to have a child then or not. That job you're teeter-tottering on right now as to whether you're to leave the current one and go to the next, well, you wouldn't surround yourself with followers of Jesus and counsel. You wouldn't ask that. You would travel to the temple of Apollo, wait for the oracle to hopefully have a word for you to tell you to either quit this job and go do this one, or don't go to that one and stay in this one. That's the type of spiritual demonstration Corinth was. So the Apostle Paul comes in with a different type of spiritual demonstration that overrides the power of Apollo. We want to demonstrate power that makes the world take notice. We want to demonstrate power that makes the world take notice. Look with me here at 1 Corinthians 2, 3, and 5. He says, I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration, underline that word demonstration, of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on, man's, on men's wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul comes with this power. That word demonstration in the Greek is the word apodexis. It means to manifest or show physical proof of. Paul says, I came in demonstration, physical proof of the Spirit's power. Within the Gospels and the book of Acts, we see that all of the followers of Jesus went from account after account of signs, healings, wonders, and miracles. And we talk a lot about how we would love to operate in those same powers, in those same miracles, in those same healings. But as I read this, I'm going to pose the question, what if it is proved in a different manner? me no matter what, and I understand how Jesus has redeemed me and become my Savior. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I have to honestly say, I have a lot of unanswered questions. It just doesn't seem to work for me. I look at other Christians, and they seem to know exactly...
So Galatians 5, 22 and 23 talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Jesus said in the Gospels that you will know people by their fruit or what is produced. So the listing of the Holy Spirit's fruit is available to us partially in, first, in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Goodness, gentleness, kindness, loving, self-control, long-suffering, patient. <clears throat> so my question to us is, what if the Holy Spirit is asking us to break out in power or power up in a different manner than what we put within our minds, the box of our minds? Where when we think of the power of the Holy Spirit, we automatically refer to signs, wonders, healings, and miracles. Now, I'm a firm supporter and firm believer of those. But what if the world needs a different kind of power right now? What if the world needs us, when they are angry, to be at peace? When there is chaos, we step into the room and bring order. When there is suffering in place, we step into the room and we bring patience with us. Now, I know that doesn't sound awesome and super cool and, you know, people aren't getting up out of their wheelchairs and people are seeing that we're blind. But here's just a thought to throw out to you. Before Christ returns, this guy named the Antichrist and you, we talk a lot about him in the series called Looking for Jesus. So if you're wanting to know more about that, pick up that series. But this guy named the Antichrist is going to come and inhabit the earth. It says that he will move in signs and wonders. So my only thought is, if you've got two types of followers operating in signs and wonders, what's going to make the difference? What's going to be the hallmark what is going to be the difference besides us loving Jesus and dying for him? What's going to be the difference? Because if the enemy operates in signs and wonders on a false manner, what are we going to bring that's different? When everyone else is worried, uh, will we be the ones who operate under the power of the Holy Spirit and are at calm and at peace? When everyone is wondering where food is going to come from and where the next maybe bottle of water will flow from, Will we be the ones who panic, or will our faith be increased because we are dependent on the fruit of the Holy Spirit? Just something to think about. Because what we want is we want people to look at us and have this awe in them that they can't help but notice that transformation is taking place, but it's only through the power of the Holy Spirit. Because demonstrate power that makes the world take notice. We want to demonstrate power that makes the world take notice. That is what it means to power up. And there's a difference between what we bring into those around us versus what the enemy brings to those around us. In order for us to power up through the Holy Spirit, we must breathe the attainable. To attain something means that it's achievable. We can achieve it. And the New Testament followers of Christ were able to achieve, they were able to attain what the Holy Spirit had for them. In James chapter 5, verse 17, James says that Elijah had a nature like ours. 
That means living the attainable means we have ways that others cannot deny the Holy Spirit's presence in the situation. We can obtain, we can attain what the Holy Spirit has for each and every single one of us if we have a willingness. We're not without. Look with me in chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and we're going to finish up in a moment here. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. No, we speak of God's secret wisdom, a wisdom that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him, all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. So the Apostle Paul tells us that our goal as followers of Christ is to mature in our faith, mature in our journey together, but it only comes through the partnership and the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Because the gods of that age, the rulers of that age tried, but they could not unlock the wisdom or the understanding of God because they didn't have the Holy Spirit. And the mystery that Paul speaks of is available for us for the purpose of not only growing individually, but also to explain to those the mysterious ways of God that do not know God personally. That's why we have the power of the Holy Spirit operating in and through us. That's what it means to power up. Now, it's pretty easy for us to live in our own power and in our own strength. The problem is when we live in our own power, when we live in our own strength, it exclusively puts dependence on us and our power and our strength, which then means people praise us. And God's not too into that. He calls that idolatry. But when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit and we rely on the voice of the Holy Spirit, then therefore we turn our strength, we turn our talent, we turn our gifts over to him and God has given all the praise and God has given all the glory. And that is obtainable. Would you stand with me, please? So I have two questions for you as followers of Christ. Question one is, like Paul, where is your agora? Where is your agora? Where is the place that God is sending you to where people do not know of Jesus Christ, but are in dire need of? Your workplace, your campus, your school, your family, only you will know when you ask. My second question to you is, do you need to power up? Do you have the Holy Spirit living within you? Do you have the evidence, the fruit of the Holy Spirit bubbling out from you? Maybe you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time and you've never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. 
Today could be your day. For some of you, you've experienced the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. But you feel that you've kind of plateaued lately. Not sensing, not feeling, not hearing. Maybe you're saying, I need a power up of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit in my life. I need to be recharged. Not for my personal benefits and glory, but I need to be recharged so I can leave and go out and make a difference in the agora that surrounds me. Author and pastor Francis Chan states, there is no such thing as a real believer who doesn't have the Holy Spirit or a real church without the Spirit. It's just not possible. So the question is, is do we want to be a community of faith who just talks about the power of the Spirit? Do we want to be a community of faith that just says, yeah, like they used to do, that was cool? Or do we want to be a community of faith that wants to break out, that wants to break out in the areas of our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit? Do we want to be a community that says, man, I tell you what, it is definitely not me working in this situation. It's the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through me in this. So in a minute, we're going to give you an opportunity. The, I'm going to ask the elders and the council members if you would come for, forward and just make your way down here by the stairs, please. Just give yourself some space, your spouses as well, please. In a few minutes, I'm going to dismiss you. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to dismiss you, but I'm going to make an opportunity available to you, two opportunities. Opportunity number one. If you are here today and you say, Pastor mentioned earlier in the service that I need a healing. I need a situation in my life. I just need to be anointed for that with oil because it says in the word, call upon the elders of the church and they will anoint you and the prayer of faith will heal you. You say, that's me, that's me. Then when we're done praying, you just make your way down here to these elders and council members and they're going to anoint you and they're going to pray for you. Or maybe your option number two and you say, I have never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit and today's the day that I just want to do this. Then you make your way down. Okay, one more option. So if you say that you have the Holy Spirit but you just need to be refilled, you've reached that plateau, then you make your way down. And maybe you just say, you know what? It was a cool time here today. None of this is for me. That's cool. Because when I'm done praying, I'm just going to ask that you leave quietly and be respectful of those around you. And it will be no formal dismissal after I pray. So Father, we just thank you this morning for what it says in your word. We thank you for the power of the Spirit. Father, we thank you, God, that our identity is called to be in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior. Lord, I pray for every individual in this place today that whether they need a healing, Father God, whether they need a breakthrough in their life, whether they need the power of the Holy Spirit for the first time to be a lifestyle for them or they need to be filled up, I pray, God, that you would move in a mighty way in their hearts and their minds today in the name of Jesus. Father, I pray that you protect us throughout this week and Lord, when the enemy comes to distract us, 
We ask, God, that we would refer back to your word, to a life of prayer, and to a community of faith that surrounds us and loves us. Remind us, God, we cannot do it on our own. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. If that is you, just come forward, make your way forward. If not, please be mindful of those around you as you leave.